I'm back with part two of the Lawrence Yap episode, and I'm excited to say that we focus in on Lawrence's time as an automotive journalist. It's no secret that I'm a big fan of Lawrence's, so getting to this part of the episode was really gratifying for me. In this shorter part of the episode, Lawrence and I chat about some of the highs and lows that come with being an automotive journalist, the new age of automotive journalism, and what doors happen to open when you pursue this as a career. As usual, I hope you enjoy the conversation as much as I did. I'm your host, Trevor Byrne, and this is the Bucket Seat Podcast. Okay, so I want to keep I want to keep going here because I've got a couple of questions for you um, that, given the kind of birth of the Bucket Seat Podcast and what I'm doing. Um, I guess I don't necessarily consider, I don't consider this to be automotive journalism because I kind of feel like automotive that's journalism not, is changing. It, to me, it's not really doing justice to what automotive journalism is. For me, I like having people to my home to talk about cars and have a good time with somebody who's sitting at my dining room table mm. speaking into a microphone with me. And I don't claim for it to be uh, of the. I guess, of the genre of automotive journalism that I think there are a lot of those out there that, <clears throat> excuse me, make their career of it. And I have a lot of respect for them. So I like to air that out right off the bat. But um, for what I'm doing, um, I have a lot of fun with the podcast. I think this is really amazing. But having someone like you who has spent, you know, a decade plus as an automotive journalist, mm-hmm. uh, there are a lot of... I was not making my living at it. And I Fair. think that's kind of, you know, that's sort of an interesting thing, especially in Canada. And I think it that plays into maybe who's doing it and how kind of the market is developed. Because, and I was lucky; I had a newspaper gig, and and the Toronto mm-hmm. Star paid, mm-hmm. you know, they paid me two hundred and fifty to five hundred dollars a story, depending on the length, and they would pay you for photos. And so, I w- I actually, you know, in relative terms, I did okay. But I had a day job, two day jobs, really. And most automotive journalists practicing in Canada, except for those that, you know, are editors, are doing it because they love it. And they have another job. Mm-hmm. They're doing it for mm-hmm. because they're passionate about cars and they want mm-hmm. to try new cars and meet interesting people. So um, and, and, and those and those um, those passions what I've found, at least knowing the, the people that I've spoken to so far, lead to other careers that aren't necessarily yeah. automotive journalism or something specifically related to automotive journalism, but have allowed them or opened doors for them to go in different directions. And yeah. I mean, I think that's probably fair to say that um, that's something that has uh, has happened with you Absolutely. and your career progression yeah. and the places that you've gone with it as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, a lot of a lot of journalists end up in very interesting places. Um, mm. There, you know, the guy that's now running global communications for McLaren used to write for Autocar. You know, um, the, uh, Michael Bart, who was formerly you know executive VP at Porsche North America, Australian guy, ex automotive journalist. You know, and you you if you pay attention while you're doing that job. It's amazing what you can pick up and you get this very diverse kind of view of the industry that, you know, it, when you think about it, like it's incredibly, it's this incredible privilege to be 
at one night you'll be sitting across the table from Chris Bangle talking about design. And, well. you know, two weeks later you might be, um, you know, having uh, a coffee with somebody that's running global marketing for some other brand. or, And so it's, you know, that's kind of the coolest thing about covering the industry is just you get to learn so much about so many bits and pieces of it, right? Um, and that was, you know, the one thing that was kind of lacking up until recently for me was what's it like on the retail side of things? And that was always something, I, a gap that I wanted to fill in in my knowledge and to, to kind of have a view of what it's like to work at a car dealership and, and, to, and to deal with kind of the day-to-day uh, business uh, as well as to have a view of, okay, what's it like to, you know, plan the next... 12 years worth of volumes for Porsche in Canada, which was something I used to do, right? So um, it's really cool to kind of see like the really, really long view and then the really, really short view because how many cars are we selling this month is, you know. <laughs> so um, I think there, there, there are a number of listeners who've contacted me also knowing that you were going to be on this show. Oh boy. Um, and nothing uncomfortable i think about this whole kind of line of questions but um knowing that there are those who are probably just starting getting into this industry um who may progress to be you know global marketing directors for aston or moving on to being um you know director of marketing at one of the most well-represented automotive groups in canada um there are those who i think are starting their world in automotive journalism and so for those who are doing it keeping them in mind as our kind of audience as we're mm-hmm. talking about this what were some of the most gratifying things that you found um you ran into on a regular basis or maybe not even on a regular basis um but what are the most gratifying things that you ended up doing as an automotive journalist still resonate you know long term for you now um you know, it's funny, people, you remember the people, you remember the cars. I mean, there are some really, really cool cars I got to drive. Uh, and, you know, there are pictures of the really memorable ones up on my wall at home. Um, but it was just sort of the opportunity to meet and to and to actually have really interesting conversations with just such a huge variety of people that made, you know, that kind of made an impression on me. And I, I couldn't pick, you know, any specific ones among them. It was kind of the sum total of, uh, you know, just all of that, all of that feeding into, into kind of a, a sense of, of what, what the car industry is about and what drives people. So, you know, if there's a piece of advice that I would have, it's like really to keep your eyes and ears open and, and, and to listen and to observe as much as, you know, we're paid to have opinions and, and to say things. But, you know, even some of the, the, the pieces that I wrote that are my favorites were more about kind of stepping back and being really thoughtful and not even really reviewing the car. You know, I can remember uh, I wrote this, I think at the time it was like the longest story they had ever run in the wheel section. It was like 3,000 words. Wow. And yeah. it was in the time when, you know, street racing was kind of like this big thing. And I just, and I actually, I, I had an STI, a silver STI press car at the time. And I just kind of went and 
hung out, you know, at a bunch of different car gatherings, and some of the some of them were where people were doing stupid things, and some of them mm-hmm. were, yeah. were not. And it was just this kind of philosophical, like, okay, why do people do this, and why are they interested in modifying their cars? And you know, another piece that I, I can remember writing was I, I had this Audi RS4, and it was, you know, kind of. 1500 words about like why do people want fast cars we're stuck in traffic all the time like this is stupid it's got a six-speed manual i'm just going like <laughs> in traffic and um you know just, but it kind of ended up becoming this story about you know this the human desire for speed just being innate innate yeah exactly and wanting to go faster and and wanting to go faster is what makes you human and in fact you know that two or three seconds that you can wind an rs4 out to like 8200 rpm that kind of makes up for everything else uh (laughs) and so some of the favorite pieces were all not really reviews of spectacular cars necessarily but using the car as kind of a way into something else or and typically the car would be a way into an interesting conversation with someone, right? Right. Yeah, I think there's there's a lot that can be exposed um, in our personalities and in human nature when you start talking about cars and what it is that oh, gets yeah. people, pardon the pun, but revved up about what yeah. it is uh, that cars do for them. And it's so different for so many different people. And I find that is one of the real inspirations to why I like talking to different people on this podcast because mm-hmm. everyone I have on came from a different place, started at a different point, and still finds very different things inspiring about everyday involvement and what's happening in automotive mm-hmm. and their own personal life with cars. Even people who are not into cars, if you start to push them, you're like, oh, well, I, w- I wouldn't, you know, I would never drive that. Yeah. Well, you're not really into cars. What do you care? Like, that's a good car. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would never drive that. It, it, we're, we're, our identities, for better or for worse, you know, it seems to be an important part of that, what it, you drive. Oh, right? It truly is. And I mean, I could go on for ages and ages about them. Yeah. Um, the stacks of research that we go through yeah. um, when we look at who buys what cars, yeah. when and why. Um and there is a fascinating amount of, of data behind all of that that I will spare all of the listeners, um, but um, I'm sure I'll get into at some point. Um, now, so there is a lot that I think most of the listeners are pulling in in terms of the great sides of being an automotive journalist and the stories that are told and the experiences that you have an opportunity to be a part of. The air miles that you rack up. The air miles that you rack up. <laughs> These are all the bonuses, but... Um, there are definitely going to be some downsides mm-hmm. to being an automotive journalist. And if that is a, if that is a route or a path that you'd like to follow, I mean, it's not all rosy. And I know that it's not all about the business class flight, um, to Italy and, you know, gorgeous sun filled drives on the Amalfi coast in a Ferrari, um, Ferrari the, press trips typically actually start and end at Maranello, and you drive the same roads on right. all of them. You're driving a Ferrari, so it's like cool. But of course, um, but I think that the 
maybe the perception is that being an automotive journalist that I mean kind of everything is just handed to you on a mm-hmm. silver platter when I know that is absolutely not the case and it's a grind um, it's not an easy job especially in Canada when no. it's not your primary source of income mm-hmm. and you're working another job and you're still trying to kind of straddle your regular yeah. day job and this thing that you're so passionate about on a regular basis so maybe if you could kind of help to elaborate a bit on some of the challenges that you might face as an automotive journalist in Canada Canada, uh, it might kind of help to set the stage and make things real for those that are listening. If I was, you know, if I was smart, I was doing IT and I, I was working freelance as a, as a graphic designer while I was being an auto journalist. If I was smart, I would have done those things because I was charging a hundred bucks an hour to do IT work. Mm-hmm. And if I had just done that, I would be way further ahead and I would have had an old 9-11 <laughs> way sooner and all of that stuff. But, mm-hmm. I, you know. Auto journalism accounted for 25% of my income, but ate up 75% of my time. That is not an efficient use of time. Yes, not a, not a sustainable business model. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, I did it for fun. I think actually today things are both much more challenging and much easier at the same time. Um, they're much more challenging because there are so many different kinds of content being created. And the notion of what auto journalism is, I, I think, is very murky. And I don't think that's a bad thing. You know, uh, I still love reading car magazines. Uh, I still consume them voraciously. But I also, you know, there's good branded content out there. And there's good mm-hmm. content out there that's sponsored and whatever that's really, really cool. Um, but the struggles, let's say, that the traditional auto journalists have these days is that there are a number of content creators out there and this isn't something that's limited to the auto business where there's this tension of well you know i'm from the more traditional model i used to get paid to do this and now there are people that are doing this for fun uh you know guys like you uh that have a really big following uh, and there's this tension of, well, like, who are these people? Mm-hmm. You know. Whereas on the other hand, if you're one of these co- people creating content and that, that it's built a following, and you're like, you know, who are these guys to say, to dump on me? And I think that it's just a very interesting landscape right now. Um, when I was looking after PR at Porsche, I, I mean, I, I joke that I got out of auto journalism at the right time because I stopped writing for a newspaper just as newspapers started to decline and it wasn't you know it wasn't intentional or anything but uh it's just a it's very very complicated now and with consolidation let's say in the in the newspaper business and you're seeing it even in the online business i wonder whether like in canada whether it's even relevant kind of on a national level because there was a time when you know, reading the story in the star where somebody had driven a car for a week and kind of put it in context for what it's like to live within Toronto meant something. And I think that there's still a place for that. Mm-hmm. But the content creators with the huge audiences, their audiences are now so huge and they're so international. You know, in the past, if I wanted to read Chris Harris, I had to go to the newsstand and buy auto car where he had a column right. every couple of weeks and that would cost me $13. Mm-hmm. 
or 17 or, or 17 or whatever or, it was yeah or, or or whatever so there was this sort of barrier for entry that kind of mm-hmm. for with foreign correspondents that kept uh kind of the local market alive right uh, but now when the internet has made the dissemination of all of this content so easy and so global and on such a large scale well you know if you are a canadian auto journalist that's now going to the last wave well not the last wave but you know so Porsche will launch a car and there'll be waves and waves and waves of people. Know, yes. Right. Because they have 20 cars and they have about 500 people that they want to drive. But they them do let their the tier one journalists yeah. take first crack at it and they're the, the first ones to write the story. The global correspondents will do the first yeah. stories, right? If you're Canada, you're now number six, number seven market in the world. So you're f- pretty far high up the pecking order, but you're mm-hmm. still probably driving the car. A week after Chris Harris does, or a week after Jeremy Clarkson does, or whatever. Yeah, I was going to say. So those stories or have already Johnny hit the Lieberman web. and those guys at Motor yeah. Trend and that whole yeah. mix. Yeah, they all get first crack. They get first story, you know, first dibs. And they're all good at what they do. They are, yes. Um, and so, you know, if I was going to be mercenary, and I was mercenary when I was at Porsche, I would say, you know what, I can get 80% of the job that I need to get done with like one or two people. And because they have that kind of coverage, right? They're syndicated through mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. this network, or they have, or they freelance and they hit all of these outlets. Um, and I always wondered when, you know, which manufacturer would be the first one to just say, "No, we don't need this," uh, because it, you and you've lived this. Uh, it's incredibly expensive mm-hmm. uh, to support you. You have cars on the road. You have travel. You have all of these things. Oh, liability. Yeah. Right. So. Um, it's just it's a very interesting landscape now. I think that the where auto journalism is still very relevant to consumers that are looking to purchase cars is in that local take the car, put it into a local context. What is this going to be like for somebody that's living in Toronto as an example? Um, and what is it going to be like uh, to put a child seat in the back? and what is it going to be like uh, sitting in traffic, you know, in, in a snowstorm? All of that stuff. Unfortunately, I think that that's the much less sexy side of it, you know. It is. Uh, but, you know, Chris Harris and um, Clarkson and Rory, uh, they can do a way better job of doing the sexy stuff. And they have access to resources that we just don't have in mm-hmm. Canada. So, And realistically, the cars aren't that different that they're reviewing That's in the UK. I, that it is what we get yeah. here. Yeah. So I, 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 it's just a really, it's just a very, very interesting time. Uh, because I think that what Canada needs from auto journalism right now is that practical kind of, you know, and not to say that you wouldn't review a McLaren or a Porsche or whatever in that way because people live with those cars too. Absolutely. Like you you absolutely would. It's still relevant to somebody here who yeah. that a story about, you know, living your daily life with a McLaren yeah. here in Toronto and driving it up to your cottage in Muskoka yeah. is a very realistic thing. And yeah. you're going, you know what? It's my 365-day-a-year car. Yeah, and, and there are people that do that. Yeah. So, you know, I think that there's that content, regardless of, of what, what cars are being covered is still really important and necessary. But I don't think that that's what is attractive about the business to an outsider. It's not as sexy. That's for sure. not as sexy. It's like really good insight. I traveled for 12 years on somebody else's dime. Right. I got to, I got to go all over the world and 
racked up huge air miles and <laughs> saw every country and, you know, frankly, to the point where now I'm happy to not travel. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, from the outside, that looks like, oh, my God, like this, this, this oh. amazing lifestyle. But there is it's a not lot really of... your lifestyle. And when you go to Italy with Ferrari, yes, you're driving Ferraris in Italy and they're putting you up in a nice hotel and whatever. But you're also going to have to sit through the three-hour technical briefing and you're going to have to sit through the debrief after you drive Fiorano because Luca wants to know what you think of the car. Mm-hmm. And if you don't like the car, that's a very uncomfortable situation. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so uh, so there's, there is this kind of non-glamour side of it. And I don't mm-hmm. think that social media has helped because we all, myself included, really curate our online presence so we're only showing the good stuff of course right? but i mean i think that could be said for almost any um any discipline mm-hmm. that is um that is present online right now in the public eye be it you know take for example an actor or yeah. an actress yeah. um you know it all looks very glamorous and there's being a hollywood star shows. is a grind too right yeah 4 a.m call to right you know swim through a 10,000-gallon bucket of water, you know, yeah. none, of it's, none of it's fun. Right? There is a lot behind the scenes that, um, yeah, I think anybody getting into any industry would be quite naive to think that um, what they see in social media, which realistically is what I think is the most present for a lot of us to And see my social days. media presence is all like Porsches and Paganis and McLarens and vintage stuff, but right. I spend a lot of my days... Grinding, worrying how I'm going to sell more Volkswagens yeah. and how we're going to move the needle on Toyota or whatever. Absolutely. Yeah. There's, I mean, and that's that's the thing is, and to, I think all of our detriment to a certain extent is that what we see every day is the glamorization of each of our own industries, and mm. so we only share, of course, the things that are sexy, beautiful, and fun and yeah. inspiring, um, but. Um, you know, behind the scenes, we're all working our asses off. And I can say that from from an advertising standpoint. I know that you can say that from both a journalist standpoint, but also from someone who's involved um, in a very big dealer group that, mm-hmm. you know, there are certain volume expectations. Oh, there's, um, and that comes from, you know, all of the different brands that you represent that, um, you know, we do, we really, we really grind it out. And I, I'm glad that you kind of, you put that, you, you were able to cast that light on it because anybody who's getting into the world of automotive journalism needs to understand that although today I think the landscape is very different than it was 10 years ago or 11 years ago when you'd kind of started mm-hmm. into this, the idea of content production and content production in the earlier days was clearly like what was writing what was written yeah um and what was featured in all of what at the time for me were... i don't think that the the need for good writing has gone away agreed uh and i think you know if i was going to be critical of what i see out there the stuff that's really good is still the stuff that's well written whether it's uh you know a review, whether it's a drive story in a magazine, whether it is a really well done YouTube clip, whether it is a TV show, it's still well written. And, you know, if I'm going to be critical of 80% of the automotive content that's out there right now, I think that there is a certain amount of, well, you know, it's new media. It doesn't have to be well written. And yeah, I disagree with that. Uh, you know, there's a lot of automotive content out there where the 
you know, it's basically like, well, I've got access, therefore I'm now a content creator. Right. And, you know, I would hope that people would hold themselves to a higher standard than that. Well, and what I've found too is that uh, the thing that I get so tired of as I consume so much media when it comes to the automotive industry mm -hmm. is the regurgitation of a singular story. Right. And you see one outlet um, produce or even just share non-original content and eight other media outlets over the course of the next week and a half all release it with their own, you know, caption or As title. a PR person, Spin. I really liked that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, I get it as there are, um, you know, there are really good nuggets and pieces of content and there yeah. is a social content calendar that needs to be adhered to and there needs to be a certain cadence of release in terms of mm -hmm. information and stories and products and things to keep people engaged. Yeah. That's one of the big things that, you know, has been a focus of mine and, and my team at FAF is that, you know, if you were to read a manufacturer's social media playbook, they're like, well, you know, you should post some of your original content and you should share our stuff and here's how you grow your audience. And, and all, all of it works, but our focus has really been on generating original content. Mm -hmm. And the mm -hmm. growth of, let's say, you know, our social channels maybe hasn't been as fast but I feel like we're building more engaged audiences because they're coming to us because we're giving something that they we're giving them something that we made that they can't find anywhere else. Some of the stuff we make is not great. Some of it I think is really good, but it's ours. And if somebody likes it or interacts with it, we know it's because of something that we did and not because of something that we pulled off of somewhere else. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, originality in terms of content production is something that's definitely lacking. Mm -hmm. um, and not I'm, I'm not saying that uh, to, to what you guys are doing. I'm just saying in general, and especially when it comes to stuff that's being done in Canada. I mean, there I know that there are, and I don't want to discount um, some of the very talented, um, both journalists and content creators that are yeah, here in there's, Canada. There's some amazing uh, talented people working in Canada. Yeah, I mean, right I see... Um, you know, I, I'd say on a on a regular basis, I'm going to call a few people out, but I mean, yeah. on a regular basis, in terms of content cadence, you look at, you know, Motormouth and his whole channel, yep. you know, a lot of content, a lot He'd of... He'd be an interesting guy for you to have on the podcast. Yeah, yeah. And um, and I, I, I like the commitment um, mm -hmm. to... Um, to what's happening in the automotive industry there. I look at, and I say it again, I'm obviously and clearly a fanboy, so I'm a, you know slightly bashful, but not about it. But Brendan McLear, oh, Brendan, McLear, so McLear, very talented. Um, yeah. Amazing writer, um, you know, fellow Subaru fan, mm -hmm. um, as I've read a lot of what he's done. I think his kid's not that uh, off, far off of uh, how old your kid is. Too, exactly. Right? Yeah. So I think we share a lot there. I would love to have him on the show someday. Um, you know, should have him on the show someday. When he's in Toronto. Maybe we could do it. You could come by. We could all be here together. I know that he's written a really nice piece about Mark Bovey and the Target truck as well. So <clears throat> I'd love to have him in on this. Um, and then you look at, um, there's also a, a bunch of guys out in Vancouver. I mean, I find Vancouver to be um, pretty um, pretty conducive to the environment where you get to talk about and drive a lot of really cool cars just because of the environmental the conditions. But there's also uh, the roads untraveled. I believe I'm saying, if I'm saying that correctly, uh, they have uh, both a podcast and a video series. 
Um, and they are like their cadence of content is, you know, it's, it's relentless and, mm. and they're always getting new content and they've got a huge following online. Those guys really focus a lot around what's going on with both exotics and supercars. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, it's a uh, very interesting supercar scene out there. Totally. And yeah. I find that to be such an interesting hook is that when a lot is being talked about from a supercar standpoint, <clears throat> you can find these wildly, wildly um, engaged audiences that will follow just about anything that's happening. Not to say the guys at Roads Untraveled don't have quality content, because they do. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, you know, kudos to them. Um, lots of respect for what they're doing in Canada. Um, I, I think that there's a great pocket for it. Um, I think that having you on the show to be able to talk about kind of some of your previous experiences and, and what's come of it is only a starting point. And I... I you know, we're at a, about an hour and a half now where I think it's a good point to build a cap, but this will end up being a two-part episode, which oh is awesome. And um, what I want to be able to do is use this because I think there are going to be a lot of questions from everyone um, in a very good way about what we can talk about, which I hope you will come back for as a second, um, <clears throat> excuse me, a second um, appearance slash uh, um, um, uh, as a guest here on my show. And we'll be able to get into both some of the, the questions that I didn't get to tonight, but also some of the questions that I think people will have having listened to this episode. Yeah. So with that, um, Lawrence, thank you so much for coming by. Um, this has been episode 23 of the Bucket Seat Podcast. Um, we, uh, you know, we look forward to being able to have Lawrence back. And before we go, um, Lawrence, for both you and for Faf, um, uh, where can we find you on social media? Give us your, you know, give us, um, uh, your Facebook page, Instagram following all of those things that we can kind of, you know, glom onto after this. Okay. Well, I would, uh, you know, all of our Faf dealerships have their own Facebook page. We have one Instagram, which is just Faf Auto. It's really good. It's really, really simple. It's really, really good. Yeah. Follow it. Yeah. We have a, a pretty amazing photographer named Matt Berens that works for uh, that works with us, and he's some of the stuff that he puts up there is pretty incredible. Uh, I think we're going to put up the photo of the Corrado with the Zonda R and the 918. Oh God! <laughs> <laughs> Which was just kind of a repose to something Jalopnik had written about us. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, yeah, my personal uh, Instagram, which is basically photos of my 993 in Toronto, is uh, just uh, my name, Lawrence. Yeah. So. so good. It's so good. And you can't uh, don't. Uh, sorry don't miss it i'm not sure if it was this issue or if it was last month's issue of was it road and track yes um with a very current issue very gratuitous um shot on the front with some great faff exposure on the uh, passenger side uh rear wheel arch yeah which Um, actually came about because the pr uh director for mclaren in uh new york called us and said Hey, we hear that you guys are involved with a 570 GT4 race car, and Road and Track wants to do a streetcar versus race car comparison. Could you help? And we're like, yeah, when do you want to do it? Well, you know, in Sebring, and like the car's going to be in Sebring anyway, so that was it, you know? Uh, It's so So it looks like it was a lot of work, but I mean, it was kind of a lot of work, I'm sure, for the people kind of on the ground to get the car prepared and everything. But it was kind of a happy coincidence that they were looking. So I love it. And yeah, don't miss it. I, it's still one of the few, uh, print 
magazines or I guess pieces of print that I still subscribe to on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. I love getting that in the mail. It's still mm-hmm. one of the things I look forward to yeah, every really month. Um, but um, on that, thank you so much for everyone for listening. Please do subscribe, rate us, um, send us any reviews or uh, any comments that you have. And on the Instagram page, when I post up kind of our teaser to the next episode, if you have any questions, that's a great place to be able to post them. I've been getting a lot of um, direct emails and direct messages on upcoming shows. So thank you so much for doing that. Keep doing it um, and look forward to episode 24. I'm your host, Trevor Byrne, and this has been the Bucket Seat Podcast. Mm -hmm.